Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Matt D. Fothery, Lee Boyd, and Rob Beller. Hey, podcast world. Welcome to a legitimately different, unique, interesting, inspiring edition of the one, the only, the one, the only FNO InsureTech with your host, Rob Beller and your host, Lee Boyd coming at you today with a most interesting episode that surprised and delighted me. What do you think about that? I would agree with you. Before this episode, we were talking back and forth. We had been told about uh, about this this guest, and it was very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, you know, I'll be honest; we've already done the episode, and yes, now we we're now we're we're going to do an intro to it. But it's a fascinating episode, and whenever you really get down to what this company is doing, it'll just blow your mind. I think it's fascinating. I'm not the biggest fan of the word disruption to describe, you know, insure tech, because I don't think it's always that. I think it's maybe change. Yeah. But this is legitimate disruption. And when I say that, I'm talking about Slice Labs and their CEO, Timatia, co-founder and CEO, Timatia, joins us today to talk about Slice Labs and really a very different approach to insurance. Yeah, they're going to talk about basically how they started with a white piece of paper and said, we understand what insurance is, but what should it be? What can it be? And we're going to get to travel down that road with him, and he's going to get to talk about uh, what they're doing that's different. And it really is radically different than anything you know today. And it's a on-demand insurance, but it's there, there, there are three aspects to the company, and we're going to get a dive into all of that. Right. And if you're a couple of insurance yo-yos, like Lee and I are, and you get to do one of the things that we're so privileged to do, and that's to do this podcast and to talk to tons of fascinating, interesting, intelligent people. When you get a story like Tim's that comes along, it's very intriguing, very different. And so I think both Lee and I were as engaged as we could be with this episode today. Well, I think something that this episode does is it allows you to step back and say, you know, where else can we go? What what do we do that is just because? And what do we, well, I mean, how can we make it easier? How can we make it better? How can we change this thing that's been around forever for hundreds of years? How can we make it better? I, I think it just allows you to kind of open your mind and see the world a little bit different. Right. And we who are claims people... I think if you're a claims person out there, you'll really want to listen to this because one of the things that it inspired both Lee and I today is to really kind of think about how do we do this differently, really legitimately differently, not a little bit, not take pictures differently or use video, which is important and matters, but really, really whole next generation approaches. And uh, so we hope you enjoy it. Yeah. So without further ado, here is our episode with Timatia 
CEO and co-founder of Slice Labs. Hey, everybody. We are here with a special guest, a member of the top 50 InsureTech influencers by some lists, Tim Atia, CEO and co-founder of Slice Labs. Hi, Tim. How are you doing? Welcome. Very well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, top 50 this week. Maybe not next week. Stay tuned, huh? <laughs> well, these are unchartered times. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Well, why don't we just start there? How do you get to be on that list? Because we've tried to pay people. We've begged people. We've sent gift baskets to their house, but we're still not in that. And so how do you get on the top 50 list? I actually have no idea. I assume like everything else, you can game it, but we don't have mm -hmm. enough time to try to figure out how to game it. So I think a long, long time ago, I tried to figure out how they came up with it and they look at various social media stuff, but I really, I really don't know. Sure. I, I, yeah. But I, like anything else, I assume you can game it. I just don't have enough time to figure out how to do it. <laughs> well, then why don't we switch topics and talk about what is probably more interest to everybody and certainly to Lee and I, and that is Slice Labs. Why don't we start here by level setting on what the heck this company is and what do you guys do? Sure, sure. We're a bit of a product of our, of our background. We fell into insurance about 20 years ago when we were in consulting and they bought old policy claims and billing systems. Actually, out of Atlanta, I went down to Atlanta and you know, I was walked into somewhere reading ISO circulars. So we spent about 13 years building back-end policy claims and billing systems for carriers. We were one of the first you know, product configurators out there. And so we did that for a while. We learned insurance you know, on the job. And then prior to Slice, we crossed over to the dark side and we became online agents. Uh, we were licensed in all 50 states, you know, early in the direct-to-consumer small commercial world. I learned a lot there. Learned like it's really, really expensive to acquire insurance customers and, and that there were a lot of gaps in the market. So we had like, I think probably 60 carrier appointments by the time we left. And they were still like, you know, if you were uh, a, a new company in, in the Valley in San Francisco and, uh, you know, about less than two years in business, they wouldn't write you. And if you're an app company that was allowing you know, uh, somebody to use their private car to drive like a taxi in violation of local municipal regulation. There was just no markets for it. And uh, we were seeing that. And so we thought that the best way to try and reimagine everything was if we were in control of everything. We didn't think that we could sell the technology and have the customer, uh, the carriers actually ingest it and get there. And we didn't, we found out we couldn't do it by just handling the front end, like putting the lipstick on the front end. So we thought the only way we could do it is if we sort of tried to be in control of all the processes. And that led to Slice. And so that's that's what you do today, right? You're at the front and the back. Yeah, we built, you know, we're, we're platform. So even, you know, we used to build platforms. Even when we're in distribution, we built a platform. We licensed it in the distribution world. We licensed it to Allstate in their, their internal agency advantage. We had, losses. We had built the uh, Progressive's homeowners platform, the homeowners clearinghouse in Florida. So we were always platform. People just, we kept going further into the DNA. The platform went from just being technology to being technology that included insurance licenses, agency licenses. Now it's sort of, you know, platform that also has product and has capacity and comes with distribution. So we just go further and further into the platform. But we're really fundamentally technology, technology people. You're a technology company, but you guys sell insurance, correct? We do. We do. Yeah. So we... Uh, we could get into the debate on whether the technology insurance company of the future is a technology company, but yeah, we 
partner with carriers and or digital distribution or ecosystems to put new on-demand digital products into the market. And we have our own sort of view on what on-demand is, but that's what we do. Yeah. So we actually sell our own product, but we partner with carriers and or digital distribution to get it to market. So what is an example of on-demand? Is that Uber drivers or is that Uber riders? Yeah. So we we always said on-demand insurance and we started for the on-demand economy. So there's two sides to it. One of them is the on-demand economy, which is the segment we started in. We wanted to start it open field and not to go head to head with, you know, spend 15 minutes and save 15%. And we wanted to go into sort of open field. But we also were big believers in on-demand. So we wanted an on-demand experience. So if you tap on a button and a car shows up, an Uber shows up, we didn't think it could be tap on a button, go to a website, fill out 10 pages, call a call center, wait two weeks for paper to come back. Like how we, how could we bring insurance into that? You know, not only protect the on-demand worker, but also have insurance match the on-demand experience. You know, we've, right. we, you know, Spotify, you just register for the music and you don't have to buy the album. You don't have to buy the song. You just get it. So we, we, we started with a blank sheet of paper and we said, okay, if we want to get there and, and, and get there means we want to, you know, if it's on demand and it's digital, that means we're removing a lot of people from the process. So getting there means how much expense have I removed? Right. So I think Blackbone Progressive did a great job of taking out a certain amount of expense. And we think that that's sustainable competitive advantage. If you can remove more expense than your competitor, if you have a lower cost structure, then that's sustainable competitive advantage. So what, what if you took out 25 cents on the dollar? You know, what kind of advantage can you get by removing expense? The other part was all obviously underwriting. So can it be more effective in terms of underwriting? Because if it's on demand, not just looking at, you know, 20 years of actuarial history, you could look at real time signals and events, right? You could look out the window and I could look at the weather report, but if I look out the window and everybody's carrying an umbrella, it's probably raining, right? So, you know, can we also consume real time risk signals? And then lastly, customer journey. I mean, if, if it was a fundamentally a better customer journey, both on the claim side and on the uh, new business side, obviously claims being really important, then, you know, if you could, if you could do those three things, we thought that the platform would provide a, a competitive advantage. So that's what we went out, we set out to do. So what do we mean by on demand? If you look, our first product we put in the market. So we started sitting at a dining room table, three of us, October 2015 in Ottawa, Stewart's dining room table. We wrote our first policy October 2016 in the great state of Iowa. So now we're, you know, we have binding authority, we have claims authority, and that's not something we have done before. We've been agents before, but not binding and mm-hmm. claims authority. And uh, we write this, you know, I'll call it new product, right? So it's um, it's written for, you know, the insurance industry, you walk through the front door, you turn left if you're a person, turn right if you're your business. And we wanted to remove mm-hmm. that because if you could remove that, you could theoretically save half the expense, right? Save one tower. Our product, even though it's on a commercial form and surplus lines, it was like a you know, a personal property, like an HO3 sitting beside a CGL because they were acting like a business. And then we want to move away from line of business because we thought we could save a lot of expense by moving away from line of business as well. Why do I need a casualty underwriter and a property underwriter? Why don't I just need an underwriter? So we had about, you know, so it's a homeowner's policy. So it's 2 million liability. It's full replacement cost of the house. It's primary. So we're fully on risk. But it has things like overages and utilities and municipal fines and, you know, vandalism to neighbor's property and infestation, all these things that are specific to the activity. The incumbent 
insurance landscape, did they kind of not see this opportunity did, or did they pass on it? Well, like I remember early on with Uber, for example, the insurance industry was very uncomfortable with it. You know, you, and, and it took a little while, but they finally came out and said, hey, you know what? If you're driving an Uber, you know, you're not covered. And did they miss an opportunity, do you think? Or they're just not built for that kind of kind of policy? Yeah, I mean, they missed, a, missed the opportunity, but there's two sides of it, right? Uh, one side is the experience, right? So if you look at our home share product, we ask for your address and your email address, name. I think that's it, right? And we're writing, you know, two million liability, full replacement cost of the house, and and we we had to sort of match the experience of the on-demand economy. So we, when we first walked through, when we first started, 15 days in, we walked into Airbnb's office and they said, "Hey, great, great idea, but we don't want you to touch our checkout process." And we're like, "How could we sell insurance if we can't offer insurance?" And so we came back with this. Well, at registration, when you register as a driver or register as a as a, your property will underwrite you at registration, but you don't have a policy yet. So we had to leave everything behind. We removed that link that you're only a customer when you have a policy. So we would underwrite you. And so that now when you have a stay from the 14th to the 17th of August, the coverage is just added. So you're underwritten, it comes back, it's eight bucks a night, and then it's just added. So on one side, that was the problem, right? If you were a, an Uber driver, are you really going to go and switch your home, your auto policy that has your kids on it and is bundled with your home just so that you could start driving for rideshare. It was easier to sign up for rideshare and start making money than it was to get the insurance. The friction is much higher on the insurance side. And then the insurance industry had certain you know things in the tool chest, right? I could sell you an annual commercial policy. That doesn't work, a, a taxi mm-hmm. policy, because I'm only driving... 10 hours a week and you know I'm and then the other option was a blanket policy right where I don't really underwrite each individual risk but I'll I'll provide a policy and so they what they got right was the experience you just sign up for Uber and you're covered no underwriting I don't know I don't know how many DUIs you have I don't know um, you know I just sign up and you're covered right so overnight you know they got I don't know how many losses, how much, I don't know how much premium they have because they don't charge premium, but let's say they had a billion dollars in losses. So let's say that's a billion dollar book of business. Well, that happened overnight without, I think, anybody noticing. So they became a very big insurance company overnight without the insurance industry even noticing it was happening. And really what they did is they matched the customer experience. It was so easy to get that insurance. You sign up for Uber and you're covered. So I think that, that that part of the experience they got right. I mean, why does insurance have to be two buying experiences? But then now it's how do you how do you dig yourself out of it? All of a sudden now they have all this risk on the balance sheet and they have to handle mm-hmm. claims. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, wait a minute, what am I, right? So however, what they did get right is uh, they probably built the largest auto book in the shortest time I've ever seen. I don't know about you guys, but they've got a huge auto book. And I don't think anybody noticed it. I don't think insurance companies went around going, oh, Lyft and Uber and Airbnb are building these huge books of insurance, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So are those kind of companies that subscribe to your platform or that are customers for your platform for the ICS? That's where we started as a um, a, a segment, right? So we remember the two sides to it, on-demand insurance. We believe we we live in an on-demand world and all insurance should be on-demand, not just 
um, you know, uh, home share, but also all homeowners, right? You know, so we, we, we see a broader market for on-demand insurance for the experience being embedded in another experience. But yeah, the, the segment, the customer segment, the on-demand market is where we started because we wanted to innovate within an open field. We didn't want to innovate somewhere where we'd go head to head with the big guys. So on our second anniversary, everybody was wondering why we were charging across all the states. Why don't you prove that this works in California? On our second anniversary, we went live on the Progressive's brand. So on progressive.com. Made us grow up really fast because uh, all of that <laughs> BS you spew in the early years of your startup and you know half the stuff is really not a vision, it's mostly hallucination and then you have to really do something. <laughs> but you know that's the important part. I think we, we thought we were fairly sure we could innovate, but we we're also equally sure we couldn't scale on our own because it's really hard to scale in insurance. And, Scaling means something completely different. In technology, I can scale. I can come up with an API and I can distribute it globally. In insurance, the auto API or the homeowner's API will be different in every state, right? There's no common API, right? It'll be different in Illinois than it is in North Carolina. And so if you wanted to support Airbnb or even Uber early days, I remember Gus, uh, when he was there, Uber in early days, and we're going through more and more countries, like Airbnb was in 191 countries. If I wanted to be an insurance carrier, how long would it take me? I mean, I think something like 380 years uh, to get to 190. Even today, I mean, AXA being one of the biggest is, I don't know how many countries are in, 68, 70. Mm -hmm. Even Lloyd's can get you to maybe mm -hmm. 140. You still can't cover the footprint. So we wanted a different way to be able to scale this, scale scale by product and jurisdiction. We wanted to have, be able to have auto on there. We wanted to have homeowners on there. We wanted to have small business on there. We wanted to have accident and health on there. We want to be in a lot of different places. And so we had to pick a model that allowed us to scale um, quickly, right? So, you know, we're live in, U in the US with our home share product. We're live in Canada, we're in the UK, we're in Southeast Asia, not with home share, but we wouldn't have been able to pull that off if we had gone down the traditional routes of I'm going to be an MGA or I'm going to be an agency right. or I'm going to be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I just want to sell the policies. So whenever you're underwriting this, what are you underwriting? You're not actually underwriting a person, right? You're underwriting the experience. Is that it? And I'm just thinking, how do you capture data so quick that you can underwrite so fast? Remember leaving everything behind, right? So you know, it says, so none of our products in the U.S. have an application for insurance. So that's a hard one to swallow. We do a cyber product right. and we're in 47, 48 states with cyber. And I sat with the executive from the carrier we work with when they brought all their executive together, a very large global company, uh, AXA. And I'm like, well, we don't have an application for insurance. And you hear like the air come out of the room, right? You're writing cyber and you don't have an app. You're not asking anybody to rep and warrant anything they tell you is accurate, right? So that means that you have to go and get it. So if you want to leave everything behind and sort of be on demand and digital, I think it's it's about removing, trying to remove people from the process as much as possible. We have this, you know, submission, you know, signed application. We get a quote valid for 30 days. Our underwriting is so expensive. So we have to, you know, we bind it to get some premium. So then we do the expensive underwriting and we can, you know, we can say no until we issue. And because we issue an annual policy, we have to have endorsements and cancel rewrites and out of sequence endorsements and audits 
And we're like, how do we get rid of all of that? Right. Because that's just expense. Right. So that's just processes that nobody cares about other than insurance. So we, we went with this whole register and buy. Right. So we're like, we'll underwrite it registration. You don't have a policy yet. So we remove this. You're only a customer when you have a policy and then you can add it. But we still have to underwrite it. So the question is, where do you get the data? So for homeowners, we still need protection class. So we still need distance to hydrants, distance to shore, construction type, roof type, flood zone. But we can get all that. We actually went out and got a lot of it ourselves. And then we also use third party. But we, we have algorithms that watch the weather. So we write uh, home share. It's primary. So it's primary. There's no contribution. So we're first and we respond first and only. And we wrote during the hurricanes in Texas and the wildfires. Mm-hmm. But we have mm-hmm. algorithms that watch the weather and it's an on-demand policy. So if there's a hurricane bearing down, the algorithm says, I'm not going to write. And which was a, early days was a problem because we had no way to overwrite it when the hurricane was coming through, but it stopped writing Dallas. And the people sure. in Dallas were like, wait a minute, we're okay. Why is it stopped? Well, we're like, well, there's nothing we can do. The algorithm stopped writing. So, you know, other than feed it a fake weather report or something like that. So it's trying to do all the underwriting algorithmically and with data, but not just one time, not just I quote by an issue and that's it. I stop underwriting you and I create this, you know, false thing a year from now because I have to re-underwrite you. So I create a renewal so I can underwrite, have to underwrite you again. If I'm underwriting you real time all the time and my policy is dynamic, then I don't need those transactions and I can underwrite all the time with more precision. So if I know that you had a stay and you had a loss, then on the next policy, I can adjust it. If I know your ranking is down or you've now added a pool or whatever, so I can much be much more fine grained and looking at real time signals, not just actuarial history. Uh, so our hypothesis is that it, it'll be better. It will perform better from an underwriting perspective than a traditional annual static policy. How's that worked out? Is it that proved out? Well, I, we just don't have enough data yet to uh, prove against okay. it. The most data we have is our home share, which is across two years through Progressive. And I mean, again, actuarial is state by state, but I think when we did our actuarial and we, you know, we had to go get capacity and Munich Re is our, uh, provides our capacity. And we're like, you know, let's say it was supposed to be 36% uh, loss ratio in California. Um, they were like, I don't buy it, right? It's a, it's an Airbnb. I'm renting out my place, you know. Uh, renting it to strangers. And I think um, currently our book is running at, I think, 19.8% loss ratio. So we're running uh, over half, uh, not enough evidence, not enough uh, stays, nights, and so forth. It starts right at the beginning, right? So a great for, you know, claims experience starts with selling the policy, right? So we had, a, we had an option, right? We could have sold $100,000 limits. Right, we sell only mm-hmm. two million lim- uh, two million liability limits, but we could have mm-hmm. sold a hundred thousand. We could have done what the insurance industry did. We could have defaulted it to the lowest coverage at the lowest price. Defaults are a really strong behavioral nudge. Everybody picks it. They think they have coverage. At claims time, they're like, "Well, wait a minute. Why wasn't I covered?" Our policy is is we're not in we're we're in open field. We're not in direct. We're not you know save fifteen you know spend fifteen minutes and save fifteen percent. So, you know, it's eight bucks a night average. It's got a lot of coverage. It's got a lot of rate. That all sort of is not just underwriting. It's the whole thing leads to 
I think a better experience and and better 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 results. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, that sounds amazing. We're, we're claims guys. So what mm. happens when you have a claim? So we spent a year and a half working with Max Bazerman at Harvard and his team, a few of his PhDs, and he's actually written about it. Could share it with you. But we so a flooded basement. You know, it's a flooded basement. We can't handle it digitally in the digital world. You know, it's uh, we're, we're we we have a D to A adapter for claims. We got to deal with, you know, broken flat screen TV or infestation or whatever. But everything does start through a bot. And generally speaking, almost everybody does start through the bot. We are scoring everybody from the beginnings. We're scoring every activity, every um, every risk, every activity. So we're scoring all the way through. So we do a few things. We do ask them to sign. You know, we do the whole sign first. Sign first that you're going to be fair. We have this honesty pledge that comes up in the mm-hmm. claims process. And we say that we're going to be transparent. We ask them to sign first. We then sign. Our head of uh, claims signs and says we're going to be fair and transparent. As they get through the process, we do ask them to report the FNOL via video. They don't have to, but if they do, they get scored higher, which means they would pick up their phone and say, somebody stayed and broke my, and they just uh, say it into a video. Uh, early days, we didn't analyze it. It's just a behavioral nudge. It's harder to, you know, harder to be, uh, to not be honest into a video, but now we actually analyze it. So we look at words they say, uh, what they're moving. We, we analyze as they're typing in the text. Of course, they can always make a phone call or do a text message, but all of the, the claims up to triage happens through the platform, through our platform up until triage, uh, all of the rules. And we are working now on some, auto settle but they're like low first party low 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 property very low severity yeah, yeah very low limit properties yeah well so is is all of that done to to uh, rule out fraud i guess so that you can actually pay a claim if it's rated at x you would just pay it and be done uh, we only actually added in fraud yes but we only added in more fraud detection more recently most of the stuff we were using was behavioral so we're trying to make honest people be honest, right? So we were doing that by, you know, getting them to introduce themselves early on in the process by video if they wanted to when they were coming in as customers because we're not really meeting them all the way to, you know, will you reply by, you know, asking them to sign first that they're going to be fair and honest and we are and how we, we worked with Max and his team and how we word everything, being very specific. We asked them how much they think it is. We're trying to do a little bit of fair offer type. Uh, so it, it was a lot of just behavioral nudges. It wasn't going after somebody who clearly wanted to be fraudulent. That We only right. recently started looking at actually fraud algorithms. They were mainly just honest people. Make sure that, you know, that honest people uh, behave honestly, I guess is the best way. So the behavior side, that's the part you worked with Harvard on? Yeah. And their PhDs? Yeah, yeah. And so basically y'all looked at the claims process and you said if they do this, then, you know, or maybe we can get them to commit to their name, they're more likely to be honest about the brand of their TV or something like that. Is that right? Correct, correct. Wow. Yeah. We even did did a test where uh, I remember one time somebody had a, uh, was one of the tests we were doing where uh, somebody had a uh, patio set and, the people put down a tool on the patio set and it melted the patio set. And we had this at that time, this whole thing, we'd ask them what they think the cost was. And our algorithm, if our algorithm thought it was high, we would ask them if they would look it up on Amazon. But then we would, if they would do that and find the amount, we would have to give them something, right? So we gave them something in return. 
And uh, I remember that case specifically because it was way cheaper on Amazon, right? So than they thought it was going to be. That they thought it was going to be when they put the amount in, right? So, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, we did a lot of work. A lot of work on how you word things. A lot of work on how you word the questions. So, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm thinking about very common claims you must have are kitchen fires. Mm-hmm. That you know you're in a strange kitchen. You're using strange equipment. Boom, you have a fire. Mm-hmm. So. Those tend to be a little more complex of a claim. Yeah. Does that create an additional problem and complexity for your platform? Does that require more human touch to get involved with that? Yeah, we made a decision earlier on. So if you look at the digital insurer, I'll call it, you know, it needs needs a a license and it needs risk capital. It needs data and real-time signals and events. It requires digital distribution. You really can't distribute these products through an agency or a call center, right? They're sort of different. And then it needs this D to A adapter primarily for claims, digital to analog. And, but in order to manage experience early on, uh, we decided we wanted all the claims to be managed on the platform. And it, there, there was an important reason for it is we didn't want to have to integrate to existing systems and processes. If we said every existing system and process we'd have to deal with it would cost us in terms of value we could get to, right? Whether that be effectiveness or efficiency or customer experience, and also would add expense and timeline. Like if somebody said, oh, I have this great claim system, you have to integrate with it, that would be a problem for us because the integration would take longer than us putting the product in the market, right? Because we put these products in the market, uh, you know, the cyber product only took us like 10 or 12 weeks and we had not done cyber before, right? For a monthly subscription, cyber. So... You know, the, the important thing is this thing is self-contained. It has its own operating model, its own processes. So in order to do that, obviously, we have to bring claims people into that into that platform. And so generally speaking, a lot of the claims are handled on the platform to reserving and all that stuff. But, you know, there would have to be some kind of connection out to, I'll call it some other work workflow management outside of it. All of the communications back to the customer has on the platform. So all the, plat- the customer always gets example on claims where their status of their claim is so that has to happen on the platform the customer is on the platform that makes sense sure your tpa or, or whatever it is that that you're contracted with is basically using your platform to to do the work or carrier right because we license our platform we partner with carriers we license it to AXA-XL for cyber so we partner with them on cyber it's a monthly subscription cyber it's got no application for insurance four questions obviously we have to do all we have to underwrite under that and 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 it and you know monthly subscription is an interesting kind of insurance that just renews on your credit card every month. By the way, the platform takes payment as well, so all the payment happens on the platform. It reports regulatory, it pays taxes to the state. So it's your payment guys, your payment guys. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, we have to absolutely. There's no there's no way to deal with a broken windshield or a fire in a kitchen without a, a I'll say an adjuster showing up, right? So. Right. You had mentioned that you feel that all insurance should be on demand, right? Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that for a second. I'm thinking about yeah. my homeowner's policy. Right. Sure. Help me through that. How can I change over to an on demand and why and what do you mean by that? How can my homeowner's policy be that? So I think one of the couple of tenants of on demand, I think, you know, like uh, back to Spotify, you subscribe and you have all the music you want and, you know, you, you, you don't have to buy the album, the song or Netflix, you know binge watch anytime I want or Uber or Airbnb. I mean, I think 
at some point or another, you get an, 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 we're not the only ones thinking about this. Everybody who's doing property is thinking about this, but at some point or another, you're going to buy a home or you're going to, you know, get an apartment or uh, you're going to you know, buy a car. And, you know, we think that insurance on its own doesn't really need to be a separate buying experience. Like, and it's never going to be a great experience, no matter how hard we work, people are not going to line up at the mall to buy the next version of our home share product. Right. I mean, they're just not going improved. Yeah. But they they get pretty excited when they get a new home or they get into a new apartment and that's a very important buying experience and they need to protect that buying experience and they need to be protected through it. And we think insurance needs to protect that experience and doesn't need to be a separate buying experience. Right. So, um, you know, we believe that, you know, insurance is going to be, you know, embedded into other buying experiences. And, it, you know, your home theoretically has a whole bunch of signals. You know, I, if nobody's home, that's important, right? I mean, I know a lot of insurers are like, nobody's home, that's bad. But if there's nobody home, you probably won't have that kitchen fire, right? Because there's nobody home, right? So what's the risk profile of the house if nobody's there? For a short period of time, if there's two people in the house, if there's 10 people in the house, if, and again, you could go on and on at the number of signals that are coming out of a home and the insurance should be on board, should be embedded in the home so that it responds to the signals of the home and whoever is managing that home, it should be part of those signals and events. So if you imagine, you know, one day the home, it's Amazon home, you know, it's part of AWS and you just go subscribe to your home through Amazon. Then, uh, you know, the insurance should be embedded in your monthly home subscription. Sorry, it kind of went way out there. <laughs> no, no, no. That, that's that makes sense to me. In fact, I'm thinking about, you know, my smart home device and smart home devices in general. Mm-hmm. We've, we've talked to several IoT people who, you know, right. are building out the smart homes of the future and relative to insurance. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, do you guys integrate? Do, do you have those kinds of integrations either now or, or coming with devices and with smart devices? And how would that work? So back to your fires, by the way, we, one of the things we actively recommend to all of our uh, Airbnb hosts is to host the, uh, the local delivery, food deliveries, right? Very prominently in the kitchen. Who you also insure. Yes. Coincidentally. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, we do. If you look at the, the one of the difference of our system, so a couple of things we did uh, underneath the hood is, you know, we made policy as sort of a second class citizen. So most of the people, we didn't want to be product forward, you know, start with an ISO product and go forward. We want to work on what the customer is looking for backwards and what customer experience backwards. And uh, the other thing you see under our hood is we have a signal and event processor. So we have something that just sits there looking for signals from IoT devices. It's like the core, it's core to our system. If I showed you insurance cloud services, the signal and event processor is just sitting there. It's the one that stops writing if a hurricane's coming or if a, I've gone app on an Uber, I've accepted a ride, I'm now app off, so I'm now a personal person again. You know, So it's just sitting there looking for signals and events. So that's the first thing that's important. The second thing that's important is our policies are dynamic, right? So if you, let's take an auto policy, um, where the car is garaged is a very important part of your auto policy. If you change that, you're going to endorse your policy, right? So I, where you live, everybody, everybody's kids play around with where the car is garaged or if it's commercial, it's garaged in, in Queens or whatever. So where the car is garaged, they get to pick the highest ISO rate and you know, try to figure out what radius you drive from your where your car garage. And right now, nobody's driving anywhere. The radius is zero, right? They're just sitting at home. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. So they, they get to pick the highest rate. So let's go to, I know where the car is. I'm on board in the car and I know the uh, longitude and latitude of the car all the time. And that's an important part of the policy because that's where the car is garaged. And if the car is moving, therefore the policy is moving. So in our system, our policies are moving, they're dynamic. So if you look at our auto policy, it's driving down the street. And as soon as you do that, if somebody risk rated every feet of foot of road, you could change for every foot of road if the regulators let you do it and all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. But that's the first thing, right? Because you don't want to, some signal happens, people are in the home, everybody leaves the home. What are you going to do? Credit their annual policy, give them a, you know, like, what are you going to do if the policy is an annual static policy? There's like nothing you're going to do, right? So on our cyber policy, uh, we, we distribute that one through Microsoft, Office 365 and Microsoft 365 as an example. So we have an outside-in cyber score, but with Microsoft customers, we also have their secure score. So we know if two factors turned on, we know on Tuesday at midnight, what's their patch hygiene? Did they patch their systems? Their secure score drops. Everybody's does because nobody's patched yet. Uh, are they backing up their data? But those are real-time signals. On a, if the policy isn't is static, what are you going to do? Endorse it? Right. So we have to, you know, there's a few things we have to do under the hood if we want to get to this uh, on-demand world. And one of them mm-hmm. is we've got to move away from static policies. Yes, you got to output the policy documents, but policies don't need to be static. They need to re- respond to real-time risk signals and events. It's not just, I mean, actuarial history is important, but if I look out the window and it's raining, it's raining, right? So, so it's a little bit like, you know, Metro Mile charges you by the mile. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit like that. I take a two-week vacation, mm-hmm. and so no one's home. Mm-hmm house is dark, nothing's happening. You guys are receiving signals about that. And so basically I've only used my house for two weeks of, of the month. It's probably a less risky if, so, if no one's here at all, sure. with the exception of theft. And so yeah. do I get a different rate for that month? Is the rate all over the place depending on how you're using whatever the thing is in your life, your car, your house, whatever it may be? In theory, right? And I don't know enough about uh, Metro Miles policy, but I assume it's their policy is actually either a semi-annual or an annual policy. So they're, they're back into the endorsement world. It's not a completely, flat. I mean, there's a piece of it that's probably fixed and a piece of it varies based on uh, amount driven. I've worked on some Correct. usage-based policies in the past. Yes. Um, but um, we have a product in the market right now that we just put in Parlet with a top 10 auto insurer and we're just looking at driving behavior and usage because right now, look what's happening right now. You know, all the carriers are writing refunds, right? And by the way, they have no way to do the refunds, so they're actually writing checks, right? So, um, yes, so I, got, I got one. <laughs> yeah, a physical check. Did you, you know, yeah. Anyway, so um, that's not how it should behave. If you're not driving, you shouldn't pay. Shouldn't be, I think you're going to be driving this amount and you're not, therefore I'm going to write you a refund. Like that's like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Right. Uh, I mean, there's all kinds of issues with that. Like how much is my rate really going to be? And we're playing around with that right now. Like, okay, if I have a completely usage based on how much I drive. And of course, if your car is sitting in the driveway, you can still get hit by a satellite or stolen or whatever. (laughs) But, um, you know, really in auto insurance is Miles driven, you know, <laughs> that's really, that's really, yeah, I mean, right. uh, uh, but um, 
you know, that's an important one. But I think what's key to people on how you present it is if it's going to be 50% less than an annual policy, who cares if you don't know if tomorrow I'm paying a dollar or two dollars, if you know it's going to be half the price, right? I mean, or, or 70% of the price, right? You know, I was just thinking that we've interviewed a lot of guests who are out there changing the way insurance is done. And a lot of times they think, well, you, you took the insurance policy and you sold it online. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not really that different. But really, you're, you're changing everything. As you said, you took a white piece of paper and everything. you everything where you could, you completely changed the whole logic, not the logic, but you, you changed it. Right. So I'm, I'm just curious, what are, you know, what does your roadmap look like? What do you, I mean, airplanes, I, I could see this being done for private airplanes. I could see this being done for all sorts of things. Well, there's no where, limit. There's no limit. No limit. Where, where, we, what is we, your think, we think we live, we live in an on-demand world. So we started with on-demand insurance for the on-demand economy. Cause you want to start in a in a niche, that's the problem obvious. with a niche, that, that makes sense, right? Yeah, the problem with a niche is it gets filled. You can wake up one morning and somebody filled it, right? Sure. <laughs> so yeah. eventually, yeah, right. as you get stronger, we just believe it's on-demand insurance for an on-demand planet, right? So, you know, if you uh, if you are a small business and you're on Shopify and you get that email that says, you know, what's your FEIN number because you get big enough? Well, you know, insurance should be part of that buying experience. It shouldn't be I need to go to a call center or an agent. We need to be part of, you know, these buying experiences. So, um, yeah, so our roadmap is we need carriers. We need carriers to provide capacity for these new on-demand products. And we need a, a network of carriers because these platforms are everywhere. We went live with, uh, with Sampo. Sampo licensed our platform for Southeast Asia. We went live in Thailand with, um, with Line, with a messaging app. And that's a travel product, which as you guys know what happened to travel insurance right now. But, right. but, but the point being that it was, it was integrated into the line experience. It's integrated into their payment. That's the most important part. That's in, in, integrated into the payment uh, thing. And in, in Southeast Asia, they really don't come to the table with a product without some kind of super app or ecosystem or digital distributor distribution at the table. So, you know, you know, if you look at cyber insurance, should you be trying to sell a cyber to a small business or should you, you know, when you register for, you know, Azure or AWS or Google Cloud, should the last line say includes a million dollar data breach? Should it be included right. in, in the service? Right. And I think that's the essence of, you know, what I'm hearing here is that you guys started with the customer, not with the policy. You started with the customer not the product. Right. And that is basic as that sounds, that's kind of revolutionary in our industry. For sure. Because all of a sudden you don't have casualty and property and personal lines and commercial lines. And I mean, it just keeps going, right? And quote, find, issue, all these things that nobody cares about, right? So, you know, the, so when we do, we go into these what are called hackathons. So we have the platform and when we want to launch new products and we just launched all these virtual hackathons now and carriers are like signing, you know, jumping on. But we, we start with no customer journey in mind. What's the distribution? Who's the customer? What are the personas? We go through these hackathons and we work backwards on, on what's required to cover them. So then, you know, how do you remove expense in an insurance carrier? You've got to take down the silos and the layers, right? Yes. Things like, you know, common claim systems or even 
you know, lines of, you know, these, these silos, lines of business. And if we can try and remove all of that, I think we can, uh, we can take expense out. Well, I just think that we've done, like I mentioned earlier, 80 some episodes, and this is one of the most interesting and revolutionary conversations that we've had. And so I guess I answered my own question about how you made it on that list. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> what you guys are doing are, is super impressive and not just because the product that's very interesting, but the legitimate approach to it is so novel. I mean, we, we haven't had a conversation like this, have we Lee? No. Uh, with other people. And, and we've, I mean, we've interviewed many really interesting, innovative companies and people that are trying to change, you know, corners of it. But it's like, you guys are, you guys have basically said, what I'm hearing is, is let's just, Let's toss this model out entirely and build a new model. Correct. Right. Now I'm sure with regulation it's more complicated, but absolutely, absolutely. Regulatory is the one challenge. I mean, I we think it's important for a very large, you know, forty billion dollar carrier to implement every technology they can find, whether it's bots or you know, claim systems or core systems or machine learning or any of that stuff. But it, they're going to shave five basis points. And that's maybe, right? Because what they're doing is they're buying the drones, but they're still putting people on ladders. So it's just, it's incremental cost. And I think it's important for them to do that, by the way. I think it's critical they should spend that money. But that's not what we're talking about. We're trying to remove as much expense as possible, 35 cents on the dollar. We're trying to have it be perform way better uh, in terms of efficient, uh, effectiveness, whether, you know, loss ratios and underwriting. And we we're, we also think that, you know, we want a, you know, a, a radically better customer experience. All three of those things are going to be sustainable competitive advantage. The challenge with technology is it's a bit of a boat anchor, right? So if I have the best technology today, which I think we do, it's great. But tomorrow it's going to be exponentially better. And so without margins and good underwriting and great customer experience, technology is just going to be a boat anchor. So how do we – and the only way to get the advantage then is a better model. How do you change the business right. model? You know, and yeah. uh, and how do you pass that on to the customer? I think uh, yeah, that's an entrepreneurial we're... challenge. Now it might end up forcing us off the list because you know sometimes you go so far into the land of hallucination that it's no longer a vision anymore. But I mean, that's what we wanted to do. We've been trying this for a while, and the other ways didn't work. Well, talk to your CEO and tell him to not hallucinate. <laughs> Maybe he'll listen to you. Maybe he won't. You know, <laughs> it just depends. It's a fine line. It's a fine line. I I I need a few minutes. Okay. You know why? Why? Because my brain is exploding. <laughs> that I I tell you, I was not prepared. I was not prepared for everything that I learned. And I feel like I was underprepared for that, for that interview. Um, but wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Uh, we, we've heard a lot about uh, Slice Labs. We've heard about it from our friend Martha Noteris. We've read about Slice Labs. You can't travel anywhere in the insurtech circles without talking about it. And now we know why. Yeah. I mean, they're really revolutionizing the way that we do uh, policies. But what I'm fascinated with is their claims and the behavior science behind claims and making people 
tell you the truth and signing contracts, a green contract, just, it's just fascinating. It does remind me a lot of the other IA technologies that are out there, but this just seems so solid. Everything just kind of works in such a great ecosystem uh, that it seems like a great product. Right. And when he said during the episode, when he said on-demand homeowners insurance, yeah, I almost, that one made I you almost fell wild. out of my chair. Yeah. What? Huh? What? And and Tiram explain it and the idea behind it, that's revolutionary stuff in our in our industry. And their whole the whole play, the whole way they're really a technology company that understands insurance and has innovative, creative ways of using it. And they're known for their on demand platform for like, you know, the Ubers of the world and the, the on demand economy. But that's not where they're stopping. This is yeah. this is and, it's going and far, right? And they're having success. So I think that everybody better, you know, keep their ear to the track about Slice Labs. I agree. I'm very glad. Very glad he was on today. We thank Tim Atia for being with us. It was a pleasure to have him, and uh, to Alicia Moss for her diligence in making that happen. And we thank you for being with us as you are every week to listen to this craziness. And we hope we added some value. And so until next time, we say goodbye, everybody.